Yeah, me we're like the same guy. Yeah, Billy yeah. Joel. You and Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I Jesus felt Christ. transported. In a lot just of ways. <laughs> There's more right. similar than different. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to What Is Goat. As always, I am joined here by my co-host, Jamie Fry. What up, what up, what up? <laughs> Today, we will be discussing one of the highest-selling artists of all time, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Madison Square Garden record breaker, <laughs> Billy Joel. Uh, and as guests today, we have actual Emmy Award-winning talent in our midst. <laughs> our first <laughs> guest... Has been a producer at ESPN and MLB Network. Luke Utaro, welcome to What Is Goat. And you mentioned uh, failed to mention uh, the Eclectic Revolution on uh, ninety-two WICB from so, two thousand four to two thousand eight. That's right. Luke and I <laughs> used to host a radio show in college together, so this is a reunion of sorts. Yeah, I used to make it about fifteen minutes before uh, irrefutably irritating you. So we'll see if I can make it a little longer today. We are also joined by another colleague of ours. From our grand old days at Ithaca College. Uh, he's a producer for shows like Returning the Favor. You may know him from his work on Parts Unknown. Please welcome Lucian de la Briere. Awesome. Thanks, John. Longtime listener. First time <laughs> contributor. Happy to be here. Well, we asked you here because as soon as I thought of Billy Joel to do on the podcast, knowing that obviously he has to be part of the conversation. It's very apparent that it had to be you two as two super fans, longtime super fans. <laughs> so I, I took piano lessons when I was a child. My parents signed me up. Um, and for the longest time, I thought it was all about like reading music and going to recitals and stuff. Around eighth or ninth grade or so, I got a new piano teacher and he was much more into being like, all right, well, let's start like making some music and getting in bands and stuff. And as a piano player, who do you look to more than Billy Joel? And we could argue Elton John, of course. Um, so for me, my high school years were basically forming over the course of four years, this huge fandom for Billy Joel. And I was like, I was so eager to try and learn every song that he played like on the piano. I was always obsessed with what he was doing. I probably got in a little too deep, which is where I am now at 32 years old. <laughs> there's a long way. There's a long time between then and now. But um, I would just listen on repeat to his albums as a teenager and really try and listen to piano riffs. Um, I was attracted to uh, his kind of like attempt at highbrow songwriting. <laughs> um, uh, Attempt's and, a good word. Yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like we're going to get into the criticisms very soon. So, How many times have you seen him in MSG and how many times have you seen him total? That's a good question. I, I don't actually <laughs> I know. I know the would, number is fairly high. Yeah, it's definitely in the double digits. Nice. I probably, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. That's a super fan. All right, Luke. Your fan, did it start when you were a kid? Develop later? Yeah, it did start when I was a kid. I think that's sort of... Uh, kind of paramount to my engagement with him is you know I, I think we can get into like songs and albums and everything I think especially when you talk about a goat discussion it's like oh who what what album is his best for for me uh it's like it's greatest hits uh volumes <laughs> one and two which I which I know sounds ridiculous but that's kind of how I got into him you know that came out in 85 you know you two coming from Brooklyn I grew up in the suburbs outside of Rochester I spent most of my life like in a car growing up right uh the late 80s into the early 90s, you know, CDs were new. My dad was just like trying to build a CD collection. And that was one of like the first CDs that I just remember being mm -hmm. in the car at all times. And again, we'll get into this later. I, I think Billy is at his best when we're talking about the hits. And I, I think digging into a specific album isn't necessarily where he's at his best. Where he's at his best is like a two hour greatest hits but that kind of formed my you know my initial fandom of them and really the base of songs i knew so like for example miami 2017 is not on that greatest hits <laughs> albums volumes one through two i did not know that song until way later it's a damn shame yeah and it, it is a shame and then i heard it later i was like why was this not on the on the greatest hits but uh really that that vibe informed all of the music i kind of got into growing up it's very funny because uh you know when it was Bruce Springsteen, it was like, I really only knew Born in the USA and Tunnel of Love for the first like eight years of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like I did not know there was anything before that because that was what came out when yes. CDs were new and were populating my dad's car. We're seeing a trend with exactly what you're describing. That I think it is something of our generation and probably the next as well. I think we'll see it phase out eventually as, 
you know, the sort of obviously CDs go by the wayside. But it is funny to if you're reading a best of list, if you're reading Rolling Stone, if you're looking at the Rock and Roll of Fame inductees, you're focusing on things like chart performance, album sales, uh, maybe radio. And then when you speak to actual fans or, or, or just listeners, it's exactly what you're saying. It's not about those things. It's about the experience of being in your parents' car as a kid. Yeah, I distinctly remember being like in my third grade class with a friend and we we're like talking music and like Mrs. Marquardt's third grade class. Like I remember this, but all I knew of Tom Petty was full moon fever. I did yeah. not know there was anything before <laughs> yeah. that, right? So yeah. I was just talking about it and she was mentioning these songs and I was like, I don't know what American Girl is, right? Like, I don't I don't know what breakdown is, you know? Because yeah. it just was not on full moon fever and that informed like everything I knew about music. I was looking at um, Billy Joel catalog I think to our generation, he's a singles guy. He's someone who got played on the radio a lot. He has like 33 yeah. top yeah. 40 hits. He has more is... hits than anyone. But I was looking at his his album career, 70s, 80s, into that River of Dreams album. He has an incredible run of records. Yeah. And most of those records I've listened to and are quite good. I like the mid-70s period, uh, Nylon Curtain and Glass Houses. Those are my two favorite Billy Joel records. I have them on vinyl. I've listened to the shit out of them. <laughs> he had mega hits in three decades. Yeah. Not a lot of people can say that. And he never, he was never relevant. <laughs> right. He's he never cool. <laughs> he wasn't with it in the 70s. He wasn't with it in the 80s. And then the 90s, he wasn't with it to the point where he was like, I quit. <laughs> because he didn't want to compete with like Kurt Cobain and the Fugees. Because he was like, you know what? I'm done. And I respect him a lot for that. I think that in some ways he has held on to his legacy as a straight shooter by being like, I am not going to make you listen to a crap all a record that I don't believe in. The attitude that he's had his whole life is so workmanlike. Probably the that song, uh, the river, the river of dreams was like, all right, Billy Joel, here's your cold watch. You can yeah. go home and ride your motorcycle. Uh, and then what he does now, which is awesome, which he just, his live show, I've seen him three times as well. Yeah, His live show is amazing. He is such a gratuitous performer. It shows, it shows the love he has when you see him live. And he is definitely a, a bitter asshole. Like I'm sure that <laughs> interpersonally he's a bitter asshole who like loves to get divorced. You know? <laughs> That's his hobby. There, there <laughs> are a like, lot of musicians I want to grab a beer with and he is absolutely not one of them. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't really think he'd be a good hang. He's never been personable it's just not his that's not his thing well i'm glad that we can you know. all four of us agree that we're really happy he stopped making records <laughs> i'm glad that that's something we can all agree on because we have three super fans here and as is too often the case i'm gonna turn this fucking podcast around eventually i am still dishing out the haterade unfortunately i'm not a billy joel fan never liked billy joel continue to dislike billy joel so we'll see but at the same time i don't like to be that guy I don't take any pleasure in it. I think Billy Joel gets a lot of A minus marks, and I think that's that's a good. An A minus is a good grade, <laughs> right, right. If, unless you're like sitting amongst a, pan, a pantheon of demigods of music history, like you guys and stuff like that. To me, I'm like an A minus is a good score. Good point, right? So he he was he was a, a pretty good songwriter. He's a pretty good piano player. He's a decent performer. Uh, he kind of rides a line of cool and not cool, at least in the '70s and '80s. Today, we can argue, you know, he's an old man. Um, and so I think for that reason, combine all those things. That's his success right there. You mm. Look at a lot of other artists, and they might have been a wicked good songwriter, but they couldn't hack on the performance level. They mm -hmm. weren't, you know, like ticking the boxes and all these other things. But he's pretty good at all of these things. And you, if you can keep that run right. going over the course of three decades, that's, I think, kind of what helped make his success possible. If you can go see ACDC at Giant Stadium and appreciate, like, <laughs> them for the ridiculous, like, show they put on. I mean, no, but I'm serious. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, it's yeah. the same thing with Billy Joel. Like, you just wait for the ACDC episode, he, he, baby. He's, he's <laughs> Sitting on a platform, he's spinning around on his piano while he's like noodling around the piano. But like, it's not it's not a diverse crowd for other reasons, but it is a diverse crowd from an age standpoint, right? Like, you have like teenagers all the way up to like people in their sixties that are kind of not giving a shit, kind of just having a great time. Um, yeah, and and there's really that. something to be said for that. There are very few artists that can kind of bridge that generational divide um, and just get people in one building to let loose and have a great time. I would describe the um, the thing you see the most at the Billy Joel concert is like a working class guy who like probably does physical labor because they're buff as hell <laughs> and their 80 year old mother. 
<laughs> yeah. Holding hands and crying. <laughs> there is something really different about the the only crowd that's like that is that. Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Bruce Springsteen is the other person who holds the set. There's a, a different kind of crowd. I think because, and I think you touched on this, like Billy Joel is neither cool or uncool. Chuck Klosterman has a great quote about this. Has that He's the only artist who never really took a stand on whether they're cool or uncool. He's not... You can't really say he's uncool because he's not trying to be anything. He's kind of like a clinical musician. Like, I put on a tie, I put on a jacket, I play the piano, I sing my songs. The aesthetics mostly is somewhere between um, Phil Spector, Wall of Sound, which gets a little uh, canny by mm-hmm. the time it gets to the 1980s. And then there's some Beatles and Beach Boys in there. Probably the worst of Billy Joel is when the music industry wanted Billy Joel to be more like a California singer-songwriter with like more like of the acoustic, that like Laurel Canyon sound. Like I listened to his debut record, Cold Springs Harbor, which is, you know, you could argue his worst record, not because the songs are awful, it's because they were trying to make him into James Taylor Jackson Brown, whereas this guy is an East Coast loudmouth. And when when... That aesthetic, which is his only good aesthetic, kind of, is the only, like, the the kind of, like, smarmy, like, it's still rock and roll to me. You big may shot. be right. You had to be a big shot. This is when Billy Joel actually, like, for two seconds seems like kind of a cool rocker. You're, you're, you ma- know? I want to pump the brakes because I don't want to blow past anything you're saying. I want to, let, let's go back to the first point you made, which I think is dead on. You said he's not trying to be anything. It's that that weird middle ground is he cool is he uncool he's not trying to be anything i would argue that's knock number one against him in my book i want no sense of i want every person i listen to every record i listen to i want them to be trying to be something that alone right off the bat is a huge turnoff to me and that's exactly what i hear when i listen to it you're saying yeah okay he's not cool or uncool pick a side are you cool are you uncool? You say, oh, well, he's not this California Laurel Canyon sound. His songs were charting on adult contemporary charts. He's not a rocker. So, okay, well, you're not that. You're an East Coast loudmouth. So what? You're not. No one's going to confuse you on the Bowery for fucking Joey Ramone. You know, like these are. That's what I'm saying is it's like it's a no man's land of like identity and of aesthetics and of musicianship. It's like, wait, you're a piano bar guy. That was your job. You played piano in a piano bar. Oh, no. You're like a streetwise guy walking through the village. No, like, where are you, dude? What am I supposed to be getting from this? But, but isn't that what most pop musicians do? Like, pop, so, pop so musicians pop go musician. through phases. Yeah, I like. He's not a rock musician. I mean, well, he, he's pop rock. I mean, listen. My, my, <laughs> How convenient. Yeah, I, want, I want to touch on that, yeah. too, because, like, I think, I mean, this is a man who I think for every time he wrote a big shot or uh, he, it, it's still rock and roll to me, you may be right. He wrote, like, a song in French called C'est Etoile, and he did something like Love this. Love that and, song. And, like, I don't know if he was doing those. You guys as industry insiders could maybe educate me whether it was, like, for <laughs> his own pleasure, I hope it was, or whether he was, like, being pushed by a record label to be, like, okay, this and that. Because I feel like the big shots and stuff were what he needed to do to make sure that he was going to sell a, a million copies copies of that album but he was gonna like do himself a little favor and be a little indulgent by writing Cete Toi and like going for it on those sort of things so can we fault him for that you know no. like was it ever intended to be you know a, a radio hit or anything like that because I think what you're saying and to your point as well I listened to all 12 studio albums in the last week and he has country western he's got like mm-hmm. weird synth like techno like stuff from the 80s yeah. he's all across the board on everything and I don't know if for that reason alone, maybe he's not a rock musician because he didn't stick with it. He was not just pumping out rock music. He was diving into these other things and making an attempt at them, sometimes for better or for worse. He is a songwriter. I think that all the other stuff that you're talking about is totally secondary to him. Am I judging, I that, am I judging him on a criteria of like a rock musician and perhaps... He is not really a rocker. I think you're right. He's not really... Because I think that it's because he has never been part of the counterculture he's always like his whole aesthetic as a human being is a few years too late like he is basically a tin pan alley songwriter who is a little younger than those guys and he actually when he was a kid he was like 16 
he played on the demo of Walking in the Sand by Shangri-La. Oh, I didn't know that. And I, I think he did... There, I don't. I'm not sure which one, but he he shows up on some Phil Spector demos. He was kicking around in that scene when he was younger as just like basically like a session guy. He look. He is a clinical songwriter, and then as a performer, he's a bar band rocker because he's probably played nine million bar shows. So to me, it's like his his aesthetics was always behind what was going on. Somehow. On the strength of his songwriting, he made it to MTV, where he had videos. He, he did a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I think, listen, like, he certainly has some flaws. I think if you're going to make a GOAT argument for him, it, it goes on the hits metric, right? Like, he had, he had 33 top 40 hits over a 20-year career. Like, if you, he had 12 studio records, like 110 songs that he released on studio. One-third of his songs were top 40 hits. Mm -hmm. And they really run the gamut from being, like, a long-winded seven-minute song about a couple from Long Island to, uh -huh. to like, to a three-minute doo-wop song, like, for the longest time. Like, completely run the gamut. He writes songs that are relatable in a way that has nothing to do necessarily with rock and roll and what it means that has nothing to do with the counterculture that is not necessarily timely there's there's a reason why he sells so many records because he is such a good populist songwriter like you could be a democrat you could be a republican <laughs> mm -hmm. you could be 80 years old you could be 12 years old there's something about his songs that are base in a good way to me sophistication in music is a really tough argument because like once you start talking about like billy joel is sophisticated but his uh possibly to a fault like i, think. <laughs> I mean i mean his his arrangements are sophisticated as a writer he's sophisticated topically he really knows how to write a song that is made to last his songs are like things that would appear in like a family scrapbook yes they're like slices of life in a way that sometimes it's dumb but i think when it works it's really moving like even a song like the fucking scenes from italian restaurant now like you could very easily make fun of this song and i like it i think it's a very good song but that's a song that like because of the topicality of it will resonate absolutely forever something that we're always running into on this what is goat show is that there's a conversation that involves like the in the know version of music right. listeners. And we're all in the know <laughs> to the degree. However, it's like music has different uses. It's like Entertainment by Gang of Four is a great record that I have a certain use for. Or like something like Kraftwerk. You know, there's a use for Kraftwerk or whatever. This is stuff that like kind of like tickles the more sort of like artistic side yeah. of your thing. Now, Billy Joel isn't necessarily that, but he also is. Right. Because to me, like to be able to write a story like that about Brenda and Eddie or whatever, and like these kind of simplistic lyrics, these are the songs that will live forever. Like people will play them at their weddings. This will remind people of their family members. Yes. Like the, the, this Billy Joel music has more use to the regular person than most records ever. I would even go so far to compare it to the way that I think as time moves on, families, like parents and children and old friends will always have a use for the Beatles. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. That is an absolutely great and important part of any music. And I will not debate that it has stood the test of time and it is beloved by multiple generations. However... You guys, I think, mentioned before, at least in passing, someone mentioned Bruce Springsteen. And here is my absolute biggest problem. As you said, there's there's a lot of similarities. You know, Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen absolutely should be said in the same conversation. And I didn't like Bruce, and now I love Bruce. And my love for him makes it even clearer as to why I do not like Billy Joel. What Bruce is able to do that, I think, is so incredibly powerful and is why he has the stature and the longevity he has. You mentioned the everyman, Jamie. Bruce Springsteen is able to get into the character of the everyman, Billy Joel as well. However, Bruce does something that all the great songwriters do. He does what Woody Guthrie does. He does what all the great hip-hop artists have done. They take the everyman story. They take small, 
problems that every person has or many people have, their listening audience has, and they take something that is otherwise seemingly insignificant in your own life and they blow it up into epic battles. They blow them up and they say, your problems, my problems, the problem of somebody who owns a restaurant, somebody who works on a dock, blah, 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 some nobody. Those problems are as valid as the problems that get sung about in these songs about politics and you know, geopolitical affairs <laughs> and wars and famine. Your problems are just as valid. When I listen to Billy Joel, I do not hear that. When I listen to Billy Joel, I hear, here are our everyman problems. And meh, they're just, whatever, they're small problems. We all have them. Oh, well. It doesn't resonate to me as the why. Why am I listening? The why of the, the meaning behind this being and having a heft and a weight behind it. That's what really draws me in about those other artists. But there is a universal appeal to, to Billy Joel. I mean, he got famous off of like a stu- like a live recording of Captain Jack that got played on a Philadelphia mm. radio station. So it is very easy to kind of go, oh, he just writes songs about people from Long Island. Why would anyone else from Long Island care about him? But there was something in Captain Jack about a very specific like environment in Long Island mm-hmm. that spoke to people another state away. I think they're a little different in that sense, but they're also, I, I don't see a big difference. Like, I don't see what Bruce Springsteen... What is he connecting to that's greater than, than Billy Joel? And I, like, like, give me a specific example, I guess. Born to Run, maybe the most famous song that everyone knows. It's about hating your little town. It's about hating where you grow up. And so he is Captain blo- Jack. Yeah, so, yeah. so is Captain Jack. So is Moving Out. So is Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. So is Zanzibar. Do you want to hear the difference? Yeah, I well, think. Well, then let me tell you the difference. <laughs> the difference is, the difference is, Born to Run, okay, you're a kid in a boring town, in a boring suburb. You don't love it. The difference is it's put into a paradigm that is more appealing to me. The stakes become so high. The stakes are this is a death trap. This is we need to escape. It's life or death. That's exciting to me. When I listen to music where the stakes are, well, I don't know. Maybe I should stay home and masturbate. Maybe I should stay home and masturbate. That's not as exciting to me. That's more easily ignorable to me. I guess I... I don't know. I maybe maybe I'm in like the lone here, but I, like I, I think like there is a a complaint on Billy Joel that he's like corny dad rock that doesn't go anywhere. But but when Bruce Springsteen does that corny over the topness that you just described, this hyperbole like we got to get out of this fucking death trap, like it's endearing. But when Billy Joel does it, he's lame and it's fucking dad rock. Don't you like? Do you like Bruce Springsteen? And let me preface this: I do. I do. <laughs> John's argument is very interesting, but to me, it's like you are describing two different personalities on record because the urgency of Bruce Springsteen, whereas he's taking cues from like Dylan's more politically inclined material or like the animals, we got to get out of this place. It's my life. I'll do what I want uh, on Woody Guthrie. And then he also like got into punk when punk came out. Billy Joel is like a different type. Billy Joel is like Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Like he's that's his background. His background is like a guy who like smokes a hundred cigarettes and spends all day in a room hacking away at the piano. But I think I think in that argument maybe you're right. But then he's playing two sides because he tell you tell me if I'm wrong. It seems like a lot of his lyrics, he's really aggrieved. There is something he's rebelling against. No, he's against. no, he's angry. Yeah. But I'm saying he's Why? more like it's a, no, it's the difference between. Writing a political song and a sociopolitical song. His lyrics are more an examination of regular, like an, an unseen life. Like Brendan and Eddie. Nobody cares about Brendan and Eddie. <laughs> That's the brilliance of that song is that you're writing a song. And it's like nobody really right. cares about these people. Right. And he's got a little bite of it too. Like Captain Jack is a great song because it is kind of smarmy too. He has, an, he has a punk edge in his writing. He can. That is ignored like he is like he uses dark humor even a song that's like just the way you are for example on one level that's like a song to slow dance to at a wedding (laughs) and another song that's kind of a song about the complications of a long-term relationship well that's like she's always a woman to me people think it's always like see that song that's like too it's like that's almost one where i'm like she's always a woman to me it's a misogynist song. <laughs> I could I could do without I could do without a lot of his love ballads yeah. if, I'm, if I'm being perfectly just like, honest. Just yeah. like um, 
She's Just Like a Woman by Bob Dylan. Yeah. Absolute misogyny in music. That song could and be And the guy thought, let me just do the, the same thing yeah. 10 years later. That's yeah. a good move. Absolutely. But that's the kind, That's also the kind of guy he is. Who's like, oh, I'm a songwriter. Let me examine this and do another one. Who you were know? the... Can you go back a second? Who were the the characters you mentioned? Brandon Nettie. Brandon the, okay. the, the, you know, popular Here, steady. Here's what I'm saying. Summer here's, of 75. <laughs> <laughs> is, here's what I'm saying about when I listen to the music. You said nobody cares about Brandon Nettie, right? Yeah. Bruce, the analog there for me would be nobody cares about Brendan and Eddie, and I'm gonna make you fucking care. It it's another step that I don't typically hear in a Billy Joel song, which is here's why it matters. And I don't right. know with, I, with Billy Joel. I feel like most of the songs end with that of just like, and nobody cares for Brendan Eddie. I think we all knew Brendan Eddie in high school. I think that's what's cool about that story. You know, it's a story about like two kids in high school who fell in love. They got into it too fast. They, you know, all this sort of, and they fell apart two years later. So we all know Brendan Eddie. I think that we can all agree 100%. on one hundred percent. Going back to like his songwriting versus like the call to action and like what does it really go to? Like he's admitted in like all these sort of things that he's uh, like a history buff, right? And like let's take like we didn't start the fire off the table, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, like a lot of his songs I think are trying to speak to something that has gone by you know like Allentown it was like a time gone by he wrote a song about World War II he wrote Goodnight Saigon he wrote songs related to the Cold War while the Cold War was happening so uh, to refute I mean, your argument a little bit the Cold War exactly so <laughs> he toured yeah he toured Russia during the Cold War the USSR but like so to refute your point a little bit I think he was speaking to people maybe not the way Bruce was but like I think he actually was like somehow talking if, if not through nostalgia like at least into people's homes that did understand he was talking about through at least some of his music. That's a really interesting point. You know, and it's all this is all subjective, right? Like you're obviously hearing something in that music where I kind of find it to be the same. I guess I don't have much to refute that because if that's what you hear, so be it. I think there's a lot of similarities there. And that's and and so I'm not comparing them in terms of like, well, Bruce is cool and a rocker and Billy Joel's lame. You can be lame. I like lots of lame musicians. But it's <laughs> what you're describing that confuses me. If it's not if he was just like, I'm a fucking nerd, I'd be like, cool, into right. it. I, I know what this is. And maybe maybe he's just more complex than that. Fine. But it's all I these mean, he's little... he's been divorced was, a lot. He right, must be yeah, a pretty exactly. complex personality. <laughs> but it's right. all these little pieces. Like, even you said, like, oh, well, he has a tiny punk rock. It, I don't want a little punk rock. If you're a fucking rebel, you're a rebel. What are you he's rebelling not a, against? He's like, not you a rebel. To, he, is yeah. a, he, he is a different... Like, he's more like when you meet someone who seems like just some kind of fucking idiot and then they've got <laughs> no like like let's say you're going with <laughs> no or not an idiot but like let's say let's say you're in a social situation and you meet someone who looks like an insurance salesman or something and you're like there's not gonna be anything interesting about this guy and then this guy turns out to have like uh, an acidic sense of humor that you're like that takes you by surprise. Mm -hmm. That's how I see him. Okay. I okay. wonder if there's a world where Billy Joel ever wanted to become maybe that kind of like anti, like more counterculture artist, yeah, but, but he, knew, he but he looked at it. in him. He exactly. knew it. This, this he is knew the next, it. he knew that he didn't have it in him. He was like, this is what I'm better at. Sitting at a piano with 19 cigarettes coming out of my mouth, drinking all the gin that the bar has to offer and just writing songs yeah. for people. And like, that's what I can do. And I can tell stories. Does coolness yeah. count? I think no. coolness counts. No. In terms of the goat, you don't think coolness counts no. for anything. No, and I like cool. That's what I always say when people ask what kind of music I like. I say I like cool music, <laughs> and I like uncool music. Yes, but here's you know, my question. I think when music or musicians are patently uncool, they are cool. Because there is a sense of legitimacy, honesty. Take a band like like nerdy stuff, like The Cars or something. It's like, these are nerdy guys, but like they are what they are to such a degree that the uncoolness becomes cooler. I think this argument is only happening in 2019. I think if this argument <laughs> was happening in 1978, we would be saying Billy Joel's really cool in the time. Yeah. yeah. And I really do. I do. I think, you know, Chuck Klosterman's gotten a lot of like, you know, voice out of this argument and we are all talking about it right now. But I think if you talk of people from a different generation, like that, like lived through like his, his rise and success, they would say like, yeah, he's a cool dude. Is he like, like the coolest rocker? No, you know, he's not like doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think people <laughs> found him to like actually be cool. He made it into the MTV world. He had like videos like doing that sort of stuff. And I remember like a friend's mom one time telling me that she was obsessed with his, his Jufro and thought that he was the, <laughs> the most handsome guy Fair. that was making music. Fair. So you're right. You're right. And I, I, it's nice to have this argument yes. this many decades later. And you're right. But, yeah. I forget that sometimes. And we do always need to ground ourselves in that. Like, but that's part of GOAT. It's like, it's what is it then? Right. What is it now? What will it be in the future? But I'm glad you set that straight. I, th I think Lucian and I, like when we enjoy him now in a 2019 perspective, like I, 
I do enjoy him for a reason because he is abjectly lame. Like, like, like the, the songs that are like super, super catchy, but again, and, and we'll be done with the Bruce thing, but I get the same thing out of like Bruce's really like, like my favorite Bruce record might be born in the USA. Cause it is just like Very abjectly cheesy, cheesy and okay. corny and like completely like it's, it's bubblegum. Like it's, it's, it's your Steve Miller band argument from the classic rock it's episode true. weeks ago. Like, you know, there may not be a lot of traditional, you know, nutritional value that, right. But I want to eat some Swedish for <laughs> some time, or I want to like eat an ice cream sundae. And that tastes really good going well, down. Well, Luke, I'm going to say you're right because I was right. So <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> but, but I mean like Amazing. with Lucian and I now it's like, cause we'll like, we like doing a lot of karaoke or we'll like go to a piano bar or whatever. Like, that stuff still holds up in a right. setting of like yeah. we're three drinks in and just want to belt something out in a karaoke room. And and again, in reading a lot of like the internet hot takes of like what sucks about Billy Joel, it's like, you know, well, I could never imagine Neil Young or Leonard Cohen approaching their lyrics, you know, with this such like a haphazard way. And it's like, if I want to be deep and introspective and like moody, like I'll listen to Neil Young and I'll listen to Leonard Cohen. But there is a, a place in like the musical canon for all of that. And, you know, when we're drunk in a karaoke room, do you you know who's not playing Leonard Cohen or Neil Young? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie and I are going to come and ruin Carrie. <laughs> yeah. I can't They've wait. Got 52 Billy Joel songs in there because he is great for that yeah. specific environment. Yeah, yeah. Like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you think you're like also a little lukewarm on like Elton John and artists like that. Yep. Correct. I, I, to that point though, I would say, I think that Elton John, though I'm not particularly a fan, I think Elton John for my money is probably superior to Billy Joel in most every way. And you, but you also got to keep in mind, he had a songwriting partner. So sure. he, he was not writing lyrics, and I think they're a bit apples oranges in that way. But I, I, think, I, I think I myself would rather listen to Elton John over Billy Joel. I, I think, think Elton John. I think John's, they're both musicians. I think Elton John's ballads. Yeah. I think I'm Elton. With Billy. I think yeah. Elton John's ballads are more beautiful. I think Elton John's rockers rock a lot because harder. he had a professional songwriter writing. Fine, the heartfelt okay. lyrics. You know, that doesn't I, I bother me. It's a different equation. I if think. Billy Joel could have written those songs with a second guy, go for it, man. I'm not going to knock that. You don't have to be a, a, an army of one. But El, and Elton, you want to talk about fun? Elton John's super fun. I mean, the outfit, <laughs> no, I know. it's flamboyant for a reason. It's really fun. Billy Joel, to me, like, I don't, I don't, it's not fun to me. I hear it and it sounds like a really depressed drunk dude talking about how, like, hard his life is. Like, the first time I heard scenes from an Italian restaurant, which I would still maybe argue is maybe my favorite Billy Joel song. Might as well. I, it was the idea that there were tempo changes, there were uh, different uh, music styles in it, there's, like, that clarinet solo at the top, there's all these, like, crazy things. The first time I heard that, I was a band nerd in high school and I played the piano and stuff like that, and I said, this is awesome music. <laughs> to this day, of course, I love and appreciate it. I don't necessarily see it like as much as I did, but the first time I heard that, I was like, this guy wrote an epic song, you know, in the leagues of like like a meatloaf song or, you know, something like that. Uh, and so I hold those songs to this day probably more in favor than the ones that you hear every day on the radio. I tend to skip over those on tracks when I'm listening on like Spotify or anything. Well, like they that. are overplayed. Like that's the thing we also have to understand is yeah. like, like in this day and age, it's like you could be like, no, I've been getting into Harry Nilsson or I've been getting into T-Rex and you go and like kind of dig back. There's no doing that with Billy Joel because we've heard these songs so many fucking times. They are part of the language of music. There's absolutely the karaoke factor for, for lack of a better term. There's the sing-along factor. The guy can't stop selling out MSG every month. I'm not arguing any of this. It's no. objectively legendary. And there is that element. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not completely confused by it. And I would hope that you guys can illuminate this a little bit. His biggest hits are these huge anthems. I have heard Piano Man sung at the end of more drunken nights than I can ever remember. The nature of an anthem, right? I think at its very core, it's this sort of universal feeling that the whole gang can sing along to. There's a reason you want to shout out, we're not going to take it. There's a reason you want to shout out, don't stop believing. We can all get behind this, right, at the end of the night. What is doing that in Billy Joel's music? Because it's doing it. I mean, you have thousands of people in MSG singing in that exact same way. Piano Man doesn't have, like, the refrain of, we're not gonna take it. No, it's more real. No, Piano Man is kind of like those two, what do you say, we're not gonna take it and don't stop believing. Like, these are both songs that are kind of like, um, they came out of the same machine, so, like, a song that has that populist right. feeling to it would be like, holy shit, you know, and I love We're Not Gonna Take It. And at some point before it was ruined, I liked the, the Don't, Don't Stop Believing. The Piano Man is, is that on a next level because those are simple bass emotions. Like, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about glam. Those are 
apolitical revolutionary songs. They're songs that like make you feel like like you're politically motivated, except about what I don't know. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. Piano Man is a real story. Pia- even when I was like eight years old and I'd never been to a bar and I never had a drink in my life, that scene that he creates in Piano Man, and I never want to hear Piano Man again. <laughs> no, nor do I. Never. The, mi- the microphone smells like a beer. Like well, as an eight-year-old, like that is yeah. like descriptive. Like you, like, I don't know. It, it sets a scene. That's a real scene, and in that song, that song goes from happy to sad like 10 times well that's my other question is no, anthems are typically either celebratory or angry and billy joel no music when they're is good when they're good they have more emotional complexity not everyone has to be just one mm-hmm. thing don't stop believing is one feeling it does not have a second feeling we're not going to take it they're, they're literally those songs so you're saying piano man kind of takes anthem are, to a different level i'm saying it's like if you were a painter you paint in one color say, or you paint in many colors <laughs> yeah. and billy joel has much more nuance uh, only the good die young too. Seems like a pretty stupid song. It's like a song about basically like, like uh, convincing a Catholic school girl to go all the way. Right. Yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Correct. Which is something we could all, right, yeah. you know. Well, there's also like, all in, in, all what, in like in like keeping the faith. There's like making it with a redhead girl in a Chevrolet. Yeah. You know. This like, is a yeah. really good song to me. Only the good die young. Because first of all, as as a Jew, I don't know anything about this Catholic shit. So it's like. That's already like we're discussing a, a new concept, at least to some. <laughs> to con- new but like concept. that, that song, like Catholic Catholicism, <laughs> new concept <laughs> for me. Right. I'm saying if you if you right, know right. you know if you of don't course, know. Yeah. You know, Catholic girls have always been a mystery to me. <laughs> um, they start too late. <laughs> that song, it seems like fickle, like kind of teenager love song, and the lyrics have a lot going on with them. I'd la- rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the sinners. That's not teenage pop. That's like a nuance. Mm-hmm. And that song is also kind of fucking dark because it is about sex. It's a song that sounds very cute and nice. Right, surface level. Like, that is, a, that is kind of about teenage <laughs> yeah. sex. There's more subtlety of these things than I think that you're giving okay. credit for. I, wanna- I think in the, in the actual the, the writer part of it, if yeah. you want to be like this sounds annoying, that's fine. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't argue with that. Like these are the hippest sounding records, and that they like stand up to like um, you know something cool, like 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 the way Prince's records sound or Bowie records sound. Like no, no fucking way. You know what I right. mean? There's there's no way they sound as good as those records. But in each of these hits that are the reason that there's a hit is because the story is real and it's it's got more colors even something like big shot which is kind of like big shot is him sort of exploiting his sort of like new york like <laughs> right. get like like mildly affiliated with gangsters but like that story <laughs> is awesome like this like like big shot could be the plot of of uh mean streets in, in a sentence why is billy joel good he writes about people really really well and people identify with it on a high level when they do that would be the real winner not necessarily the melodies which i think are excellent or a not call the to action it, it doesn't have to be a call to action which i think is your argument you want there to be this like you know death Next trap step. thing no, it's more and for like, him it's like relatable yeah. and it's like or if not nostalgia sometimes there's something along those lines like, like if you think we're not going to take it is better than a billy joel song i'm not even going <laughs> to argue with you because that's a that song it just it fucking rocks and you don't have to have an argument about what that means yeah and i'll also you know say I mean? sensibility wise like luke injected like acdc earlier it's like I don't know. It's more fun for me to hear like a song about drinking played really loud and fast than a song about drinking in a minor key. I just like it more. It's just a better time. Yeah, that's totally fair. Right. Yeah. But can we all agree that like like probably many other musicians that have been around for decades like that, he's probably been cursed with with piano man. I, I imagine he hates playing that at the end of every song. I really do. I think yeah. he's yeah, especially hate when it. he's trying to get sober. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like Journey with "Don't Stop Believing." Like Journey has some actually good songs. If they're songs that haven't been just like pounded into your right. brain for twenty five years right, right. to a way that you just never. But it is a great song that he's been cursed with it actually like really is the way it builds the way it has a chorus it goes la 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 like yeah. is is perfect for an audience you know like that like song yeah, is incredible go crazy people lose <laughs> their mind that? over it i yeah. could do without it in a show i'd be fine if he didn't play it the next yeah. show i go to and i wouldn't walk out and think anything otherwise it's cool i've seen it we've done it but it is a great song and he's gonna have to live with that the rest of his life also <laughs> he 
writes songs where it's like, even if it's like characters and it's not really him, everything he writes, and I identify with this as a songwriter, it's like he has to play these songs with very personal associations over and over again. And he has to like, he has to alternately perform them well and then detach, be like, don't think about your ex-wife. Like, like <laughs> you know uptown what I mean? Girl, Cause it's like, like, yeah, no, like uptown girl. It's like, oh, there we got divorced. He's like, oh, whoa, that didn't end well. You know, uh, no, just the way you are. To me, it's like, there's something about him where I put him more on the shelf with someone like Lou Reed. Oof, you're killing you know. me now. <laughs> These guys are way more you're similar. You're comparing a guy I these really guys, don't like to one no, of my favorite songwriters. Like, yeah, but like these guys are so much more similar than they're different. Like they like the same it. music. <laughs> they like look kind of same. Mm-hmm. They dress kind of same sometimes. They both like like by the time Lou Reed got over like like past the Berlin Transformers stuff, stuff like that. He was like looking and dressing a little like Billy Joel. <laughs> he sounded a little like Billy Joel. They're from the same place. Yeah. Not to say I, mean, I think like, the aesthetics could not be more different. I think they, one of them writes giant large scale songs for arenas, and one writes the biggest, most expansive songs you could try to contain in a teeny tiny basement room. You know what I'm saying? One is using sort of like basic tools of the trade to try to get as weird and out there as possible, and the other is shooting for, you know, the cheap seats for the anthems. I think that, like, you would never, ever confuse the sound of their voices, the sounds of their playing, the types of songwriting. They might both be influenced by the Brill Building and by 50s and 60s pop, but one ends up as, you know, trying to be as weird and as experimental as possible, and the other is trying to just hone the most classic parts of pop songcraft. I think in the end, there's a lot there's a lot of more similarities than you're giving credit before. Because I think they're both, like... They write about people, mm-hmm. mostly. There's that kind of just like gift of gab, New York, like telling stories about people, you know? Like, well, all right, like Walk of the Wild Side. It's like, okay, cool. I meant I went to the village. I met Andy Warhol and Candy Gar- Darling. It's like, oh, well, yeah, cool. But I also like grew up with Brandon and Eddie. Right. Same guy. It's the same guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. It just, you know what I mean? Sure. In a lot of but, ways. Yeah, you but know? just to my mind, like that story, like the st- if we're talking about like the story or characters within a song. Walk on the wild side is like, wait till you people get a fucking load of this. It's like, it, there's, a, there's so much to grab onto. And there's also so much that, like, for the time was like, this is pretty different. This is talking about people that a lot of the country has never seen or heard of or, or know exist. And that's a different thing than Billy Joel. And I'm not saying good or bad, but that's a different thing of Billy Joel writing about, like you said, Lucian, people who everybody knows. You know what I'm saying? That's a pretty big difference. Sure. They're, they're different songs like they're different like they're the the conceit of the songs is different but also similar and also that's I think what I'm saying. it's like is... you're writing about your life it's just like right. kind of like sure he like lou sure. reed was writing about his life and towards like oh well i kind of met all these weird people and like i'm a real song about them and then billy joel would do the exact same right. thing you know but what i mean up, and that you're right those are the same but it's everything beyond that that makes one interesting to me and one not the song like walk on the wild side the atmosphere, the mix is incredible. Oh, it's, yeah. Aesthetics it's warm is and you yeah. feel like you're inside that fucking upright bass and it's spooky and then the the background vocals just pop in and that's 50s pop. That's what Billy Joel loves. He loves those doo background singers. Mm-hmm. But in Walk on the Wild Side, you feel like you're immersed in it and it's so atmospheric whereas a Billy Joel song, it's just, like you're saying, Phil Spector, it's just there. There's no subtext. It's yeah. just boom, boom, boom in your face. Another artist I think can kind of go into this context is someone like dylan again you're talking about someone like writing these sort of longer epic things about characters about their life but again like what makes him different well it's really it's long-winded but it's very impressionistic it's very abstract and it's something you can pour over endlessly these are the types of things that for me that's what makes it exciting to me when i listen to dylan that's the atmosphere is what makes it exciting to me when i listen to lou reed i don't have that kind of other auxiliary thing for me when I listen to Billy Joel that I, I grab onto and I go, well, this is what really brings me in. For the lyrical reasons you just mentioned, that's why I get different things out of Dylan than I do out of Billy Joel. Like, like Dylan's like a, a little out there and you got to kind of like delve into what he's saying and break it down and it's open for interpretation. Like there isn't much interpretation <laughs> involved in a Billy Joel song, but right. I, like sometimes that's okay. Like, you know, yeah. I, I like reading books and like sometimes I like reading a meandering 700 page book where like it's a little weird and it's a little out there and you got to digest it. But other times like, 
you know, I want to listen to something, read something that's direct and short and to the point, but is still like packs a punch and is effective. And I think for that reason, they're they're very different. I think Billy Joel may have wanted to or may have even attempted to try what you're talking about, John, and found that that wasn't his wheelhouse. Mm, so fair. I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said. about. Are there that. any songs yeah. you can think of that like, come to mind where he tried that and it didn't I, I work uh, early on? I got some like I was hearing sounds from like the doors, you know, I was hearing sounds from these things where I think he was like trying to get a little more kind of he was using sound to like be kind of more exploratory. And he just found that like that wasn't it. And when he did try it, it kind of fell flat. That's fair. And I and I I don't mean to say that any artist has to be another artist. Right. I don't, yeah. I'm just trying to, in terms of when I'm trying to delve into what I love about something and what I dislike about something, when I delve into the Spotify playlist of Billy Joel, I'm hoping that there's something in there that I didn't notice before that actually does draw me in. And then I can figure out really where dream. the rubber meets the road. Yeah. But when it doesn't, I have to say, well, who are the contemporaries? Who are the similar ones? And what are the differences? Because those must be, the reasons that keep me from getting into the stranger or whatever it is, you know. You know, Dylan, you can you could make an argument that Dylan is like his words are just like transcendent and open your mind and you know engage in philosophy and poetry and stuff like that. Or you can be like, whatever. I like that song. <laughs> it's not. It's nice. I don't think that Dylan's infallible as like. I don't no. think that he's. Right. I don't think not. that he's like the intellectual like no. thing that people put, put on him on. Yeah. And I think that even when people were describing him like that, he was like, "That's bullshit." I just <laughs> knock out these songs, yeah. and you can feel how you feel about him. But that's great. You know. That means that means despite everyone kind of feeling like Dylan's pretentious. It's not. It's just you're the kind of artist you are, and no one can fault you for that. And I wouldn't fault Billy Joel for that. Billy Joel has never understood aesthetics very well. I don't think that he's not a producer guy. He's a guy who sings, plays piano, writes songs, writes charts. Are you talking about aesthetics? Why do the brass and woodwinds sound so terrible on Billy Joel records? That was the aesthetics of that moment. That was the corny... It's this is, so corny. This is like Steely Dan. Yeah, but on know? the other side, you have, like we said, like, you know, you have uh, Walk on the Wild Side, like the sax is so beautiful. Or like, Yeah, but these are hip Clarence, guys. But he Clarence Clemens, it's like, you can get a killer sax sound. I always thought that the aesthetic of a lot of Billy Joel's records is like the intro of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. live it's from kinda, new york you know yeah. but like that's but the thing is is that that is sort of the vibe it's like you're kind of like like he's like a new york city nightclub guy you you know i might go back in time and be like hey billy joel like just like uh you know the glockenspiel like a lot of the ones on the radio are like these really sprawling songs but he has plenty of songs that are just like in and out Sick song. Tell her about it. Yeah. Not rocket science. Not a huge arrangement. Tell her about it. It's basically a Phil Spector, like, uh, Motown kind of thing going on. And it's got on. a good rock, too. Or Uptown, yeah, Uptown Girl. Yeah. I mean, Uptown Girl. Yeah, Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl is a great, yeah. catchy song that is yeah. in and out and, like, kind of a perfect pop song. Yeah. yeah. You may be right. That's yeah. a fucking rocker. Yeah. You may be right. We used to... An, a band we used to play with all the time, the Everyman, would always cover "You May Be Right," <laughs> and they would cover it like a, like a rocker, and it was and it a is. great cover. And people went fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, they they did. Did. I love "You May Be Right." Rocks. I love "You May Be Right." He had a like, like the live record he released in the early '80s, "Songs from the Songs Attic." From is that what it's called? Like yeah. the the live version of Miami 2017 on there, like packs a lot of punch yeah, and is really really energetic. And when you get, especially just given the lyrical nature of the song, when you get like a bunch of tri-state people in an arena and just start blasting away that song it's really really good and uh, maybe i'm getting a little too indulgent here but like the the opening uh riff at the top or that boom 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 do, do, yeah. do, you know like is maybe comparable to like the harmonica solo at the beginning of thunder road like when you hear mm. it you're kind of like okay i'm gonna be transported to a place because now i know what song we're listening to let me ask you guys is new york state of mind a good song yes yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, no question. I think I feel like you're gonna fight us on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's in the piano man category for me, where like I'm I'm fine never hearing it again. Um, but sure, this all goes back to like what was just punched into my brain like the first eight years of my life. But you know, I I grew up outside of the city. 
I had relatives in the city. We would like come to the city multiple times a year. And like that song to me as a kid was always just like when we would drive over the Brooklyn Bridge to like see my grandmother's like that. Like it just kind of like I would listen to that song and like thinking about New York City. So that must mean it's effective on some level. It's got a good songwriting, like the whole arc to it. You know, it ebbs, it flows. It's obviously one of his more jazzier songs, stuff like that, as far as chord progressions and everything. I've seen him like perform it before where there's like a four minute intro where he's just like noodling around on the piano and it's great. And I wonder like what that would have sounded like if he was able to do something like that in the studio and like really build into it. Um, the rock and sax solo. I mean, that's it's hard to like really argue against that, too. Agreed. I don't know. I think it's all a great song. Yeah, uh, that's a song that really shows his classic chops is like kind of Gershwin Rogers and Hammerstein. Like he could have. It's a show tune. He yeah. could have sat with those guys. Yeah. Like yeah. that could yeah. be like that could be like, you know, on the town with Frank Sinatra. Like, totally. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it kind of has that really classic and that like you know that it really does bring up that like magical like feeling that new york city feeling and um first of all he sings the shit out of that song it's a great vocal great lyric and to me that song is like something like we always say the proof is in the pudding that song is so essential in whatever conversation of music that involves new york city you'd be in a mets game you hear that song yeah I remember, like, that song after 9-11 was bringing people to fucking tears. Like, you put that song on it, people are fucking freaking out because he caught that vibe really well. He was the guy who did it, you know. Is there something inherently pandering when you write a song for a specific audience? Pop music is yeah. pandering. I was like, this whole conversation. Populist music is pandering. Been... The pa- pandering, <laughs> the thing is pandering. So you're saying is it a... is and it's okay. That's you're, what pop music when is. You sit yeah, down, yeah. When you're a pop yeah. songwriter and you sit down at the piano, you want to write a song that people like. To me, the, the, the pandering thing is more about how you play it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And you think he plays it straight. I mean, I think he that... makes li- no bones I think about that it. literally, if you consider yourself a pop songwriter, that pandering thing doesn't exist. Now, there's this other kind of artist, let's say the Bob Dylan, right. you know, or the Lou Reed right. to a degree in this argument. Where you're like, well, I'm more important. Right. <laughs> I'm like, my voice is more important than what other people are. So I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make something that's important to me, or like, just like I'm, I'm an artist with a capital A, and I'm expressing myself and whatever I choose because of the conceit of me as an artist, mm-hmm. whatever I choose is right. Yeah. Now I love Billy Joel because he's not that. Mm. I love Billy Joel because he's like. I want to write a song my mother would like. I want to write a song my niece would like. I want to write a song my uncle would like. I like that goal. I don't think there's anything wrong. They're just different goals. Yeah. I think maybe there's an element from a songwriting perspective that he wrote it f- like as a ballad to the city of New York and not as a way to get New Yorkers to be like that. We're going to buy that album because he wrote a song about New York. I also think like there must be something genuine there. I mean, he's from the greater New York City area. I think right. I, I would consider it more yeah. pandering if he was from you know Minnesota and right, then like, showed up like and just Taylor Swift's Welcome yeah, to like, New York that's like, exactly yeah. what I was thinking I didn't want to say it but yes yeah. Taylor Swift's right. Welcome to New York is like a little more pandering and a little right. more egregious or even front. even my least favorite song yeah. of all time I'm, I'm with Empire you Empire State of Mind I'm with you is, <laughs> right. cause like, but that's why I bring it up because they're from New York It's you, you, yeah, there's no legitimacy argument there so why does that there is feel a pandering real, there is a real difference between those two songs because to me it's like that Alicia song, Keys is absolutely a pop songwriter. Though. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? So is fucking Jay Z. Jay Z's a popular songwriter, absolutely. But Billy Joel writes about like in that song, like he actually creates a narrative that like like it's a conversation you would have. It's a relatable conversation about the difficulties and joys of being in the city. On an objective level and on a personal level, I think that you could say that like there's some cliche elements about it, but I think he's actually more like going to the really classic songwriting, like making a character out of it, building a real scene, the way that he is such a good songwriter. Whereas Jay-Z and Alicia Keys <laughs> talk about the Yankees 
Robert De Niro and how the lights will inspire you. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And, I, and both those people have made much good music. Obviously, like for me, the, the arc for me has gone, I think, from like a, a real deep appreciation and interest. And like I found it like a nice time in my teenage years and even college years exploring his discography and really listening to songs and, and going through them. Through my post-college years up till now, I, I will gladly admit that it is much more of a fun artist to enjoy. And I, I wouldn't take that away take that away from his goat status. I still think like he's one of the greatest of all time. And so much so that I spent my 30th birthday in Miami because it was 2017. So I went to Miami in 2017 <laughs> with about a dozen friends uh, and had a Billy Joel themed 30th birthday party. That's commitment. So, um, you know, so for me, uh, obviously there's, there's a lot to go there and, uh, I don't know. I, I just find him like very fun and there has been a trajectory for me as far as the fandom goes, but he'll always be number one for me. Yeah. I also just think he's a one of a kind artist. I, I, you know, you can try to make comments, make similarities, but I think if you look at what came before him and what came after, like there really wasn't a Billy Joel before him and there hasn't been a Billy Joel after. Like, no, he's extinct. Yeah. He's, yeah. The, he's the last guy like that ever. Well, yeah. never. I can't even, I cannot think of one Contemporary. I think the closest thing would did be Ben Folds. Ben kinda, Folds yeah. But Ben yeah. Folds has been making records for uh, over 20 years. Yeah. Right. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not, and, and he has not come close to reaching Billy Joel's status. He just sold records. It was a square with his picture on it. And that was yeah. it. He was literally selling square records and then <laughs> tapes. There was no Instagram. We did not get a lot of information about right. Billy Joel. It's like that stuff was not, pertinent exactly you saw a picture of a guy he's like some schmuck yeah. he, wear, he wears a tie and a suit <laughs> right. you're like this guy isn't cool but i'll probably buy this record and then fucking everybody did it, <laughs> it will never happen again not only does like someone like drake or uh taylor swift have their own aesthetics that they as a young person contrive they also have a committee giving them advice hey i think you should wear this i think you should say this billy joel is like just get me the studio so I can play the piano and right. play my songs. Could you, you imagine know? if you were on that committee in the 70s for Billy Joel? Like, they did a horrible job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. They did, like, a horrible job. Yeah, like the mustache on the cover of uh, Cold Spring Harbor. Yeah. It was like, that record probably would have sold. Like, think about numbers-wise. <laughs> totally. Let's say there was no mustache on that cover. It was not an ideal Billy Joel's face. You know, how much better would that record have done? Like, it's, it's inconceivable. Imagine to be Do you think, committee. despite my criticisms... I should give it a shot to see him live. Do you think there's yes. any chance Absolutely. that that'll change my mind? That's the one thing Go you will enjoy. I'm wondering. It's a live show. That, that I'm wondering if, that, if something about that would be enough that it would kind of negate some of the negative feelings I have about the source material. You know why? Because Billy Joel's show rocks. <laughs> it's, it is, it is it a is fun so time. so fun. He has an overflowing amount of hits. Yeah. And live, you really... The, the, the canny production that I'm, I know that you don't like... Right is not like right. it doesn't really a like live they sound like more like the E Street band or mm -hmm. like Elton John's band they're not like you know yeah. mm -hmm. it's not that dinky piano sound and that dinky synth sound that you think is lame and I know exactly because I know <laughs> I know there's like certain things where like Go watch I, could, I could hear one part of a mix I'm like John that's not for John <laughs> you know what I mean I could hear one one electric piano part where I'm like uh, John doesn't like that like but live it's a bunch of fucking New York rockers yeah. Rocking yeah. out, and they're just like, he works his ass off so hard. His shows just like result in mania yeah. from the fans. You would think he's the Beatles, <laughs> you know. And the and, and and the only thing I've seen close is like being at a Bruce show. Yeah, and yeah. and those are the only two people I've seen where people just of all ages lose their well, Luke, shit. I told you once, I told you twice. You got to stop comparing Bruce and Billy Joel. <laughs> oh, come on, they're different, Luke. Luke and Lucian, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Now, Jamie is going to tell us about his third-party goat pick for today. Well, sometimes there are some things as a, you know, an American audience that might come up but never really reach us in America. And I decided to investigate Kirsty McCall, who is a singer and songwriter that a lot of us have heard her voice. Um, mostly she does the duet with Shane McGowan on fairy tale of New York by the Pogues, which is probably every punk's favorite Christmas song. 
and in my opinion, one of the best songs ever. But I don't. I I didn't really investigate her very much. Also, she um, sang uh, one of her songs. They don't know. Uh, it was a theme to the Tracy Ullman show, which <laughs> I think a lot of us watched when we were kids, which I always liked. So I decided to investigate Kirsty McCall. Her father was um, Ewan McCall, who wrote the song Dirty Old Town, which is covered by most Irish artists, also including the Pogues. And she's collaborated with Billy Bragg. A lot of Billy Bragg's records feature her on background vocals, which I'm a fan of. And she also sings on a couple Smith songs, including Ask. She does the um, harmony vocals on Ask. Uh, but her records are really good. She was on Stiff Records for a long time and released some really cool sort of like British power pop. As a songwriter, she has something that's similar to Ray Davies where she's extremely British. Her humor is British. And maybe that's why she didn't hit in America. But I think her music is really, really good and no one ever told me to listen to it. And then there's a really interesting record from 1991, um, Walking Down Madison, which features, this is a song that makes no sense. It's a song by Kirstie McCall where the music is by Johnny Marr that is essentially a rap song about New York City or is a song that combines elements of rap music. That's really excellent. And the um, the record that follows Walking Down Madison from 1991 is really a good, interesting record with a lot of different stuff on it. And the song Walking Down Madison is like a banger. It's really good. She also does a great version of probably one of my 20 favorite songs of all time, A New England by Billy Bragg. And she does a pop version of it. And this is, you know, Billy Bragg is really famous for really making the guitar and vocals do everything in the songs. And she has a pop song uh, version of New England where she wrote the new words for it at the end. And um, there's also some amazing dance remixes of that song and a few other singles. Interesting artist. I would recommend investigating because I bet you haven't because I did not either. <laughs> so check out Christy McCall. Her music is pretty sweet. And she died in the 90s, saving her two sons in a scuba diving trip. Oh she gosh. sacrificed her life to save her two sons, Whoa. which I think is kind of interesting. So yeah, Christy McCall, check it out. Third party goat. Thanks for listening to What is Goat. I'm John Seven Napololo. I'm Jamie Fry. Bye, guys.